Today on Blue 58, the Packers handled the Vikings to open their 2020 season with a win. How did it happen and what can the Packers build on? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here. Like I said, celebrating a Packers win. I told you this would happen in our prediction podcast last week. I don't know how confident I necessarily was, but hey, the Packers won in week one. They've won every season opener dating back to 2015. Last time they opened the season with a loss was the 2014 season. So don't want to draw any sweeping conclusions, but I think the Packers are are in pretty good shape as of this week. 1-0. Feels pretty good to beat the Vikings at home, but what a weird game watching via NFL Sunday ticket via the stream. Shout out to the student package there. It'll be nice to be in grad school here for a couple years. So uh, thank you, NFL Sunday ticket, for having that package for a relatively reasonable cost and streaming. And I don't have to buy all of DirecTV, not an ad. Um, But it was bizarre to see the game take place with no fans in the stands, no real sound of fans. You had the piped in sound, but it was weird because it didn't ever respond. It didn't really build or crescendo at all with what was happening on the field. It was just kind of this ongoing buzz. It reminded me a little bit back of the World Cup, however many years back that was, when they had the Vuvuzelas in the stands all the time. You always have this background drone. You've got crowd cheering, or you did at that time have crowd cheering on top of that. But here, it's just that drone of the piped-in crowd noise going on throughout the game. It's better than complete silence, but I'm not sure it's a a lot better. I don't have any way of of measuring this, but it feels like that came through on the field as well. Uh, Because at least early on, it felt like almost a jog-through type level of energy on the field. The way that, that... teams, uh, guys were were cutting, the way that they were engaging with blocks, the way they reacted after the play. It didn't really feel like an actual game was taking place. But on the other hand, none of that matters because the Packers came out on top. And what an unexpected win it was. Not unexpected in the sense that we didn't expect the Packers to beat the Vikings. I think there were a lot of people who did. I was, of course, among them. A lot of our, our podcast listeners voted for the same outcome. A lot of people thought the Packers were going to win, and they did. I didn't expect them to put up 43 points. I didn't expect them to give up 34 points. I didn't expect vintage Aaron Rodgers, even though he was going against a defensive backfield that was anything but special. I did not expect a solid afternoon for Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Heck, he's better than solid. You know, there there is a couple significant bad plays in there, but it was a good afternoon from him, too. I did not expect everything to look as polished as it did overall on offense. There are some issues here, and we'll talk about that. Uh, But I I didn't expect this performance from the Packers. It felt a little preseason-y at times, but on the whole, this was a really good performance by the Packers, and they got the win. We'll talk about why it's, it's important that they picked up this win a little bit later on, other than the obvious reasons. But it's good that they win now. Um, and and we'll explain that a little bit later on. Let's talk about some some good things. Uh, one of the things that I, w- I want to bring to the post game shows this year is something that we did when in in my lone season of college football that I that I really thought was a mature smart thing to do by our coaches. When we were on the field after the game, no matter the outcome, we centered up at midfield 
Everybody took a knee, and the coach asked us one question. What were some good things that happened today? And I think that's something that we should do. We didn't get to bad stuff until our next team meeting, whenever that happened to be. Uh, but we there would be plenty of time to go through the bad stuff. Immediately after the game, we wanted to focus on some good stuff. Because if you win, hey, there's no sense in bringing yourself down. If you lose, the, the building up process starts again right away. You know that it was a bad outcome, obviously. There's no sense in beating yourself up over an outcome that just happened. We will talk about some concerns in these post-game things, but I do want to talk about good things uh, from each of these games as they happen. So good things that happened today. First, Aaron Rodgers looked the most Aaron Rodgers that I think we've seen in a long, long time. He looked sharp. He looked in control. He didn't look hurried. He didn't look surprised. And it looked like he was playing with better fundamentals than he's played in a long time. Stepping into throws, delivering throws on time, uh, delivering throws with velocity, going toward the line of scrimmage instead of fading away, hitting deep balls, even if they, I mean, if not for Marquez Valdez-Scantling dropping one, hitting on just about all of them because they were well-delivered passes. This was as good, like I said, as we've seen from Rodgers in some time. One of the things that we track at thepowersweep.com is adjusted net yards per attempt over time. This game alone bumps Rodgers up considerably in all of the areas we've tracked. This is his best single game adjusted net yards per attempt at 10.09 since the Raiders game last year. He was ridiculous that game and got a lot of help from receivers. That was a 16.28, so don't put too much stock into that. But over the last four games, he's up to 6.31, a full yard. Over the last eight games he's played, he's up to 6.23, again, almost a full yard jump. And he's over seven adjusted net yards per attempt over his last 16 regular season games now. That's how good he was today and how much his stats really uh, really improved as a result. And I, I don't even think the stats tell the full story of what he was doing. I think it was clear how in command he was at the line of scrimmage. That came through over the TV broadcast. You could see just how in control he was moving guys around. If that's how things are supposed to look in year two of an offense, I think it's going to be a good year ahead. Now, this isn't the greatest versions of the, of the Vikings defense we've seen. That was a big part of the, the preview podcast, and we'll talk more about this in a second. But he only is able to play the team that's in front of him. He should not be downgraded all that much for the quality of his opponent. And the Vikings should still be a formidable defense this year just because they have Mike Zimmer and they have a lot of talent in that front seven. That their secondary isn't necessarily that good, especially their corners, shouldn't be that big of a deal. The second thing I really liked today was how the wide receivers performed. So let's start with Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Yes, there were the two very noteworthy drops, but he also had four catches for 96 yards and a touchdown. A long of 45, the longest Packers play of the day. Just a really solid outing from Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And I think it was really important that you saw Aaron Rodgers go back to him again and again and again, even if he had a couple bad drops. I feel like that is a change for Aaron Rodgers. I think there have been times in the past where a guy has messed up and it's just been over. That's it. Sorry, not going to look your way again. He obviously believes in MVS, and he's going to make sure he continues to get him involved. Alan Lazard, also a great afternoon. Uh, Four catches, 63 yards, one touchdown. Should have only needed three catches to get those yards, but 
Um, he stumbled on on his big play of the day and should have gotten into the end zone, but Rodgers goes back to him a couple plays later and uh, and finds him in the end zone. Not a Lazard point, but go back and take a look at that play and see who the Packers had blocking Yannick Ngakwe one-on-one. You'll find it was not a player with a lineman number. You will find that it was tight end Mercedes Lewis who was going one-on-one with Ngakwe, the Pro Bowl pass rusher, and erased him from the play. He got kind of a late pressure on Rodgers, but it didn't matter. The ball was gone already. Mercedes Lewis shut him down. Right tackle Mercedes Lewis. No, he's not really going to be the right tackle of the future, but that is his value to the team. Finally, Devontae Adams, I don't even know what you say. 17 targets, 14 catches, 156 yards. Just like... You ever play a a basketball game against a a really dynamite mid-range shooter who can just carve you up from the the elbows right at the free throw line? Again and again and again and again, Rodgers found Adams on like an 8 to 12 yard out. And it was just pitch and catch. Adams goes out, makes a hard cut to the outside. The ball is there. First down Packers. Adams goes out to the right, makes a sharp cut. The ball is there. First down Packers. Finally, he does break loose, stacks the cornerback beautifully, catches the ball over his shoulder, 40-yard gain for Devontae Adams. Sure, 11.1 yards per catch is not like an outstanding figure, but if you can consistently get gains of 8, 9, 10 yards, that's still very efficient offense. That's more efficient than running the ball is ever going to be. And I don't mean to take a shot at running the ball because the Packers did that very well. In fact, one of the reasons that they did it well leads into the third thing that I want to talk about that I really liked in this game, personnel diversity. Now, if you just look at the box score, you can see this. Eight different players on the Packers were targeted with a pass on Sunday. Five different non-quarterbacks carried the ball. But beyond that, the Packers had a ton of different plays where they used a variety of different personnel in different roles, and it was really, really fascinating. Uh, John Lovett on the field as an H-back early. Uh, Josiah DeGara playing H-back, playing wing-back, doing a, a lot of different things. Just a really, really satisfying offensive performance to watch. And there's one play in particular. I'm skipping through my notes here to make sure I can find it, uh, make sure I, I, I give you the, the right details that really highlighted this. Uh, let's see. Packers eighth drive of the game. Second half, maybe early, early fourth quarter. It looks like here. First quarter. Yep. Eighth drive. Second play of the, of the eighth drive here. Uh, the Packers had AJ Dillon and Tyler Irvin on the field together. This is 21 personnel, something we talked about a lot over the offseason as a potential way the Packers could really maximize their skill position players on the field. What ends up happening here is uh, Irvin is kind of in the slot on the right side, ends up running a little jet sweep end around uh, type thing coming right to left across the formation. Uh, with A.J. Dillon in the backfield in a traditional like uh, like deep setback sort of set. On this play, you have Dillon in the backfield, Irvin in the slot to the right, uh, Jay Sternberger in line as a tight end, and then Devontae Adams split out wide to the right as a receiver, and Alan Lazard split out wide to the left. Lazard and Sternberger just bully the left side, or I guess the right side technically of the Vikings defense, clearing away for, for Irvin. Um, and just, it was just a beautiful, well-executed play. Uh, I, I don't know, there's nothing to complain about there. Just a, just a gorgeous play 
well executed, putting all of your players in a position to do something they do well. Lazard clearing away downfield. Irvin using his speed. Dylan just being on the field, making the defense respect the fact that the Packers have a 250-pound running back in the backfield. Just, it was a beautiful, beautiful play. And the Packers did a lot of things like that. And I'm excited to see them do more. Now, concerns. There are some concerns coming out of this game. I think you have to be a little bit concerned with the defense as a whole. Anytime you give up 34 points, anytime a guy goes 19 of 20, 25 passing for 259 yards, that's that's concerning. I mean, Kirk Cousins averaged 10.4 yards per attempt. They did get to him twice, two sacks, sure, that's fine. Uh, but the 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 defense did not have a great afternoon. The running game or running defense wasn't all that much better. In total, the Packers gave up 134 yards on 22 attempts. Now, 34 of those yards do come from from Kirk Cousins, but still, uh, that should even be more concerning. Yeah, it's not traditional run defense, but you're leaking big plays if you give up two big runs to Kirk Cousins. So, some concerns there. That kind of leads into my second concern. Overall, yeah, the defense wasn't very good, but they were also giving up plays or yards in big chunks, and that's the worst way uh, to play defense, obviously. Um, on four, uh, uh, the Vikings had four touchdown drives in this game. All four covered at least 60, pl- 60 yards. All took nine plays or fewer. They were picking up yards in big chunks at a, at a high rate of speed, and it should be pretty concerning uh, for the Packers' defense. I don't want to say a ton more about the Packers' defense because obviously uh, there are some issues there, and I, I don't want to beat a dead horse. Um, but the 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 run game was concerning, and uh, that that they that they did not defend the run well, and also got gashed in the passing game um, shows some issues with the strategy overall. Right, uh, Mike Pettin says that he wants to focus on stopping the pass first because that's how the modern NFL game is played. That is that is correct and true. That's something he should do, uh, but it's it's a problem. If you're going to just get gashed then in the passing game too. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, Finally, I would be a little bit concerned about the Packers' overall red zone performance. They got better as the game went on. But early on, they were just not executing well. Uh, The fourth down play, the drop by Devontae Adams, obviously comes to mind. That puts the Packers to 50 points if he collects that there. But another sequence near the red zone was just as concerning. Third drive of the game for the Packers. Uh, they are driving to go up ultimately eight to seven, but first in ten, uh, they try a throwback little screen, kind of a misdirection screen. They they make it immediately look like they're going to throw to the right and and set up instead a, a screen to Aaron Jones going left. The Vikings clearly saw it coming because Aaron Rodgers had to throw the ball away. Second play, Aaron Rodgers rolls right, nobody open, throws the ball away. Third down and ten. Obvious passing situation, the Packers go with an empty set. Why is that a problem? Well, the Vikings decided to to bring pressure. Anthony Barr comes storming through the A-gap right up the middle, and Aaron Rodgers has to throw the ball away again. Just poor execution, poor design, poor planning, and poor situational awareness, I think, in that last play especially. That that's really that's something they have to get fixed because they're not going to have a game every week where they can put up 43 points and just kind of go eh on on red zone trips. They left four points potentially on the on the field there. So can't have options like or can't have trips like that. So between that and the and the Adam Adams 
catch, they arguably could have had many more points. Uh, that's that's 10 points at least, potentially 11 points uh, that they left on the field. So the Packers could have made this even more of a laugher than it was. Ultimately, what this game means is not really so much about this individual result. The, the result, yes, matters, but who they play, that they dominated the Vikings, doesn't really matter. And I'll tell you why. This is going to be a sloppy start to the season for most of the NFL, I think. I think there are going to be some teams that come out really slow because of the everything that's going on. And I think there's going to be some teams that come out fast. The teams that come out fast have a huge advantage here. If you are coming out sloppy and you're putting yourself in a hole early in the season, it's going to be a lot harder for you to make up ground. Because not only do you have to fix a lot of things, your opponents are putting space between yourselves and you, or themselves and you. The Packers have a bye in week five. If they can get out to a fast start, I think they can really do a lot towards making the playoffs, winning the NFC North, and just getting into their peak form sooner, which is better. The longer you can play your best possible football is obviously better. If you can get on your feet while other people are still figuring it out, you could pick up some cheap wins now while other teams are just working on sorting out some little stuff. Would you rather be entering December with two losses or four losses, I think is what it comes down to. It gives you a margin later, I guess is what I'm ultimately trying to say. And if you can get things sorted out now, it's going to save you that many more headaches later. So that the Packers scored 43 points is great, but it doesn't ultimately matter. That the Vikings gave up or scored 34 points against the Packers defense is also concerning, but doesn't ultimately matter if the Packers can figure it out. The Packers can now figure those things out. What worked on offense? What do they need to change on the defense with the benefit of also having gotten the win, giving themselves a little bit of space for later on in the season? What happens next? In week two, the Packers get the Detroit Lions at Lambeau Field. The Packers are currently six and a half point favorites. If that's of any interest to you, I might be looking to uh, to make a move on that if that was something that I was interested in because you never know how lines move throughout the week. The Lions, meanwhile, will be coming to Lambeau Field 0-1, having just been barbecued by Mitchell Trubisky in a comeback win. Great stuff there, Detroit Lions. Packers have a real good shot at starting the season 2-0. Here's some random observations for the game. Let's clear out the notebook here and then send you on your merry way to enjoy the rest of your weekend and or Monday morning. We're going to release this podcast as soon as we get it taped and edited and all of that stuff. So Packers offensive line, I think, showed some surprising depth today. You had Lucas Patrick, uh, Rick Wagner, and John Runyon all called upon to do, well, do their jobs in sort of non, non-ideal situations. So Lucas Patrick ends up Starting at left guard, as Elton Jenkins slides out to right tackle, Rick Wagner has to come in on short notice and play right tackle when Patrick gets hurt and Jenkins go back goes back to left guard. And then John Runyon comes in when Lane Taylor hurts himself and, uh, and has to leave the game. And the Packers never seemed to miss a beat. However, they now have injuries to two significant parts of their offensive line in Lucas Patrick and Lane Taylor. I don't know if he can play guard, but I'd be calling Jared Veld here right now. But I would have done that a while ago. 
Um, that's a that's a conversation for another different day. Josiah Degara uh, thought he was really interesting today. Uh, he started the game at fullback. I just wanted to make a note of that. I know he's not really a fullback, but I had one reader at Acme Packing Company uh, get really mad at me when I said he was a fullback. He was like, actually, he's an H-back or he's going to play tight end. Yes, I know that. Um, but functionally, a lot of the things that he's going to be doing on the football field are fullback related, and he started the game at fullback in his first NFL start. Uh, he did some really interesting things, settling petty scores with readers notwithstanding. Bad luck for me there, I know, but sometimes pettiness will be served. Um, I thought he did some really interesting things. You could see that they were setting up the fullback wheel route early in the game, and they ended up running it. Uh, it looked like Degara almost quit on his route. It, he ran it kind of funny, and the play or the pass ends up falling incomplete. I think it's it's uh, it looked like a case of boy that they throw that route differently at Cincinnati, um, sort of thing. And I, I'm confident he'll get that figured out. It was interesting to see how differently the Packers used him throughout the course of the game. John Lovett also got reps today. This is my first prediction of 2020 that's actually come true. And if you are scoring at home, he got onto the field before A.J. Dillon, the Packers' second-round pick. I don't think there's any bigger issue there other than uh, Dillon plays a position with a lot more guys in front of him than Lovett does. But I did think that was interesting, that Lovett, uh, a late addition to the Packers roster, got to the field before their second-round pick. Also seeing the field today, Chris Barnes, unexpected. Late week promotion from the practice squad to give the Packers another inside linebacker body, and he got on the field and played some decent reps. That was a little bit surprising, but good to see. Uh, He finished the game with four tackles, two assists, uh, had a tackle on special teams, two tackles for loss. For Chris Barnes today. Not too shabby. I would also like to propose, this is entirely unrelated to his performance today, but I would propose that we call Chris Barnes the Iron Bruin because he won that award while playing at UCLA for his work in the weight room. So I think uh, that should be his nickname going forward. Chris the Iron Bruin Barnes. It seems like he should be a boxer in like the 40s or something, but I, I like creative nicknames. Hopefully you do too. Um, The lack of crowd noise meant that uh, you heard some things in the broadcast that you didn't normally hear. Uh, One of them was a profanity that was very, very much bleeped by Fox. Very high-profile bleep on Dalvin Cook's first touchdown. Go back and watch the the TV copy of that one. Maybe we'll pull the audio for that one um, for this week's episode of Blue 58. But I thought that that was pretty funny. Um, also one, I believe one F-bomb slipped through late in the broadcast, actually, actually called it out. Um, my wife was sitting in the room with me at the time. She did not hear it. So I may have been mishearing things. Um, but, uh, you, you're going to, there's going to be a lot of that. And it's a, a tricky thing for broadcasters or broadcast companies in this particular instance to have to do, um, to just balance what they want you hearing from the field to what they're allowed to put on the air. And, uh, that, that's a real concern and something I'm glad that I don't have to do. Uh, A couple of stats that we track, in addition to the Rodgers and adjusted net yards per attempt tracker, we also track explosive plays and ball hawks. This is the most 2020 thing, because who'd have predicted that Alan Lazard getting an end around would be the first Packers explosive play of the year? I mean, an Aaron Jones run? Sure, why not? A deep shot to Devontae Adams, Marquez Valdez-Scantling? Sure, why not? 
Alan Lazard running the ball? Probably not. Equally unexpected, potentially more so, was the first ball hawk of the year. A play on the ball, a sack, a forced fumble, an interception coming in the form of Jair Alexander getting a sack in the end zone for a safety. Wouldn't have had that on my score sheet. Finally, this was one really encouraging thing I thought um, from this week, and we'll, we'll leave you on a nice positive note. The Packers did really well on avoiding and converting third and longs. So Nathaniel Hackett, the Packers offensive coordinator, always talks about wanting to avoid getting in situations of third and six or longer. He considers that third and long for the Packers offense. I had the Packers at five plays where they were facing six or more yards on third down. They converted three of them, one of which I think was the the long completion to Alan Lazard, which was just a perfectly executed play. It goes up the seam, uh, just just beautiful. Um, can't say enough good things about how the Packers passing game performed down the stretch today. It was just really, really pleasing to see. So good effort by the Packers. Very pleased with the week one win. Obviously some things to work on, but hey, coming out of week one in a really weird season, in a really weird situation, going on the road to a stadium with no fans, I don't think you can complain all that much. Get that stuff figured out, and the Packers are well on their way in 2020. What did you think of the season opening win? I would love to hear your thoughts. Hit us up on social media via email, thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com, or if you are a YouTube listener, just drop your comment under this video, and we will be sure um, to call out any noteworthy thoughts we see there. Um, Have a great weekend. Have a great week. Uh, Enjoy your Monday if you're listening to this on our Monday. We've got some good stuff ahead. Uh, coming up this week at thepowersweep.com and and here on Blue 58. If you if you knew someone, you know someone who you think would like this show, uh, like this particular one in, in, in particular, go ahead and share it with them. Uh, tell them about what we're doing here and help us continue to grow the tent, grow this conversation around, we're having around the Packers because that's going to help us achieve our goal of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.